Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is February 29th, 2016. This is episode 153. I'm Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, my companion into the leap year, Jake English. You can find us over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Also check us out at baltimoresportsreport.com. And if you are interested in listening to all sorts of baseball talk podcasts, you can check them out at baseballtalkradio.com because I'm sure you're eager to listen to the newest Boston Red Sox podcast to figure out why they're, of course, going to be another champion in that city. You should also check us out on third-party platforms such as Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and on iTunes. Please go and rate us at each of these applications if you get a chance. It helps to garner the audience space is the best way to describe it. And um, we need more poor, unfortunate souls like yourself to listen to our voice on a weekly basis. Check us out on social media on Facebook. Uh, but more importantly, follow us on Twitter at Bird's Eye View. B- a L. With that, it's the most important time of the week. Jake, what's your drink of the week? I'm drinking a real, actual local beer. Ooh, hello. It's uh, from the Brewer's Art. It's Birdhouse Pale Ale. Fantastic. Oof. One of my favorites. Oof. That's a top five. That's stronger beer. Uh, Jake, I'm going with a Duclaw uh, Devil Milk, which is a barley wine beer. Um, I think it's right around like 11%, so um, yeah, I'm going to be sloshed by the end of this episode. When you slide off your chair. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that always happens every single week. Um, so, Jake, pretty big news, though. Spring training started, and you know what that means. We no. get to actually pontificate about useless things. So, let's pontificate. Oh, yes. We're going to find out how much people grew. In spring training. You know, if people didn't listen to us last season, they have no idea what this is about. (laughs) Yes, it's time for the medical wing, where we get to make medical decisions because, Jake, you're a doctor, right? I am not a doctor, but I did stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night. Ah, yes. So, big news. uh, Chris Tillman, uh, first individual that has hit the medical wing with uh, a core injury? No, no, no. It's a uh, it's a groin injury. No, no. Wait. I heard today it was a hip flexor. All right. I don't know what it'll be tomorrow. Look, it's possible that the injury was misrepresented to the media. What? Or that uh, you know Chris Tillman hurt everything. Only when he walks, though. Ah, only when he walks. Not when he runs, and not when he pitches. If that's what you want to call it. But so Buck should just be making him do wind sprints constantly right now. So he's on the shelf. Get out there, Tillman. I'll tell you when to stop. Do we know how long he's going to be whatever he's doing now? Uh, no. I mean, I'm assuming it's going to be a week. I mean, just until he can figure out a better mattress to sleep on. 
right, my dad sent me an email about this today. It basically said, uh-oh, it's February 29th. Is this an uh-oh? No. no okay. Not at all. But it, it it's it's not a great thing to hear, but it, it this stuff happens. I mean, he probably worked out a little too hard and was doing too much, you know. How do you overwork a hip flexor? Uh, Easy. I can think of several ways. Can we get seductive Tommy Hunter in here? Oh, no. Seductive Michael Givens. He's dead. Uh, Bonus. He's not dead, okay? Bonus medical wing. Oh, okay. Didn't Chaz Rowe take a ball off his body last week in something? Batting practice? I don't know. I I think I was off his leg. Paradis, I think, hit him or something like that. Yeah, whatever. Two guys that are not going to make the club going toe-to-toe. Yep. All right. With that, let's go to 140 characters or less this week on the Twitters. All right. I think this is a big week for this week on the Twitters, and that's because Twitter has brought everyone up to speed, up to the speed of Scott Magnus. This tweet comes from Andrew Stetka, who, of course, tweets at A. Stetka. Ah, he tweets, Twitter GIF search has found its way to my phone with an animated GIF of someone dancing. Is it GIF or GIF? It's GIF. Graphical. Graphical. Okay. Moving on, uh, this one is kind of an important thing that we should be paying attention to, Orioles fans. This is probably more important than anything that's going on in spring training, at least in my opinion. This goes from Matt Perez. You can follow him at, at Fan of Laundry, and he writes for Cannon Depot. Masson and the Nationals go back to court tomorrow, which would have been February 24th. This article discusses the situation. Uh, I believe those uh, proceedings got delayed till March 8th, off the top of my head. Uh, but again, the Masson Nationals thing is ongoing. It's going to continue to be ongoing, and you as Orioles fans should stay abreast of the topic, particularly if your team is going to spend $230 million in an offseason. Correct. Or have deferred money going out until you're 50 years old. Next tweet goes to, oh, this is this this is a tough one in my opinion. Let's just address this issue, shall we? This tweet comes from, I guess, a follower or someone that listens to our show, unfortunately. We apologize He's for that. He's the one. Yeah, he is the one. Uh, this comes from Alex Fast. You can follow him at AxFast8. Was listening to the podcast when MLB Trade Rumors stuck the knife in Fowler at Bird's Eye View BAL. You guys did it. You officially jinxed it. Look, we got like five or six tweets from people saying that we jinxed this whole thing. Nobody listens to this podcast. We can't. We have no power. Yeah, if you think the Orioles actually listen to this podcast or you think Dexter Fowler actually listens to this podcast, I've got a cruel realization for you. They may have a point with karma and me. Yes. All right. Next, we're going to go to a, a tweet that we will co-sign. We're gonna we're gonna co-sign all of this, and this is a tweet that comes from Danimal at the tweets of Dan. One of the better parts of baseball season? Question mark. At OBP Apparel starts tweeting again. It's about time. Yes, we co-sign this. OBP, we need we need some more OBP in our lives. But, you know, it wasn't all bad news in Birdland this week. I mean, we did get a physical signed. Yes, we got everything done. So this goes from Jeff Sullivan, at based underscore ball, my my, my baseball spirit animal. Your, your baseball Patronus, so to speak? My baseball blogger Patronus, yes. This is in regards to the Giovanni Gallardo physical. Dr. One, huh? Dr. One, this shoulder isn't looking very Birdland. Dr. Two, stop trying to make that happen. Well done. Well done. Jake, last we're going to uh, we're going to give a little tip of the cap to our good friends over at Utah Street Report. We tweet at Utah Street Report. So long, Taco Bell lineup. 
It was a fun two days. God, that was such an amazing name for that lineup. Mm. It was just, it was explosive. It was explosive. It kind of makes you wonder now, if you can't have the Taco Bell lineup, how are they going to fill the number two hole? Yeah. Well, with that, I think it's time we move on to our next segment, which is brought to us by our newest sponsor, Mail Gimp. This is a global telling prepaid call from Dexter Fowler, a player in Major League Baseball. From Bird's Eye View in WBEV Baltimore, it's Orioles Serial. One story told segment by segment. I'm Jake English. For the last week, I've spent every moment trying to figure out how a baseball deal fell through during the hours that preceded the announcement that Dexter Fowler had signed with the Chicago Cubs. Or, if you want to get technical about it, and apparently I do, who said what and when? The search sometimes feels undignified on my part. I've had to ask fans what they think about notes they've written on the internet, their relationship with the team. And I'm not a detective or a private investigator. I'm not even a baseball reporter. But yes, every day since that announcement, I've been trying to find an alibi for Dan Duquette, for Dexter Fowler, for Casey Close, for Adam Jones, and for Orioles fans who got so worked up about all of this. Before I get into why I've been doing this, I just want to point something out that I'd never really thought about before I started working on this story. And that is, it's really hard to build a baseball team. And it's really hard to account for your time, in a detailed way, I mean. How did you get to work last Wednesday, for instance? Drive? Walk? Bike? Was it raining? Are you sure? Did you go to any stores that day? If so, what did you buy? Who did you talk to? The entire day, name every person you talk to. It's hard. Now, imagine that you have to account for a day upon which millions of dollars and the pride of multimillionaires and billionaires depended. Just for a lark, I asked some of our friends and family if they remembered the last job interview and hiring process that they went through. Here's one from my wife, who teaches in Baltimore City. Do you remember what happened when you interviewed for the job you have now? Uh, sort of, I guess. Now, you had multiple offers from different school districts, correct? Yeah. And after you signed with Baltimore City, did you and the other districts agree to what had originally been offered? What? I mean, did you guys trash each other through the media? 
this is the dumbest thing you've asked me to do for your podcast. Have you had too many drinks of the week? And when are you coming home? See, it's tough to remember. Six days ago, at 3.32 p.m. on February 23rd, 2016, local Baltimore media began reporting that the Orioles and Dexter Fowler had agreed to a three-year, $35 million deal. This came as no great shock, as Fowler and the Orioles had been linked for some time, and both sides were widely reported as being confident that a deal would get hammered out. By 5.14 p.m., John Heyman of CBS Sports had clarified that the deal was for three years and $33 million. As always with the Orioles, this deal was pending a physical. It wasn't just the media who bought into the deal. Orioles center fielder Adam Jones, who's close with Fowler, made statements to the media that he had just spoken to Fowler and that he, Fowler, was looking forward to joining the team. Jones said that Fowler was on his way to Sarasota. The Orioles, it seemed, had a starting right fielder that they needed, not to mention the table setter at the top of their lineup providing on-base capability and allowing phenom Manny Machado to slot down further in the lineup. I first found out about the change in direction while sitting on a conference call at work. My phone buzzed to notify me of a mention on Twitter. Then it buzzed again. Then again, and again, and again. Eventually it buzzed its way off the table and onto the floor, before I turned it on silent for the remainder of the meeting. The deal had fallen through. Though it had been announced that both sides had come to an agreement, Dexter Fowler signed a one-year deal with the Chicago Cubs. We went looking for Dexter Fowler to find the truth. We needed answers. The public deserved answers. So, Tell me about your near deal with the Orioles. Uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I mean, here I am at Kelms Camp getting ready for the 2016 season, and the, the offseason seems like such a, something a lifetime ago. It's hard to remember, you know? The announcement was made six days ago. Yeah, I know. Crazy, right? Where does the time go? Where does the time go indeed? I think the real question that most people familiar with this situation is, where were you during the time between the announcement of the deal with the Orioles on February 23rd and the announcement of the deal with the Cubs on February 25th? Uh, yeah, well, it's hard to remember exactly where I was at that time. I mean, I had to spend my time getting my body ready, and I can't let contract stuff get in the way of being ready for camp especially since I was going to start a little late. Well, I think it's important that we establish a timeline, as you had every opportunity to uh, email a member of the media or tweet out a correction or find some way to contradict the story before the deal with the Orioles fell apart and before 
a deal was struck with another team. After all, someone might get the impression that you were using the well-publicized $35 million agreement as leverage with the Cubs or some other team. Not, not, man. That's not, that's not it at all. It's not about leverage. That's something for the agents to take care of. Fowler's agent is Casey Close. We'll get to him in a minute. Before we go down this route, I ask Fowler about his relationship with Adam Jones. Jonesy? Yeah, we're boys. You know, it's like a fraternity in the big leagues. We all play ball. You get to kind of get to kind of know the other guys. And you guys discussed the fact that you were coming to Sarasota? I mean, it's like we talked about so much, you know? We were like friends. We kind of knew each other. Sometimes when you get to talking, it can be like, wouldn't this be cool? Or what if that happened? Did I say, hey, I'm on my way to Sarasota? No, man. I, I, no, I never said that. But could you have gotten that impression? Like, who knows? Fowler knows better than anyone how unhelpful this is. He has to walk a fine line between throwing his friend Adam Jones under the bus while still holding on to the fact that he did not agree to a deal with the Orioles. We reached Fowler's agent, Casey Close, for a comment on this story. First of all, I just have to say this. In my 25 years in the business, never before have I witnessed such irresponsible behavior on so many fronts. Both the Orioles front office and members of the media were so busy recklessly spreading rumors that they forgot or simply chose not to concern themselves with the truth. The Orioles' willful disregard of collectively bargained rules governing free agency and the media's eager complicity in helping the Orioles violate those rules are reprehensible. Dexter Fowler never reached an agreement with the Orioles and did not come close to signing with the club. Any suggestion otherwise is only a continuation of an already disturbing trend. Clearly, this was the well-manicured statement which was delivered to the press. But I asked him to wander off script for a moment. This is outrageous! It is not my job to refute every rumor that comes out in relation to my client. It's a weak argument, but he may have a point. The burden of truth may not necessarily rest on the part of the player's representative. If there was some nefarious scheme behind the Orioles leaking the agreement too early, to what end could that scheme possibly be aimed? The argument of gross incompetence can always be considered for this club. We called the Orioles seeking comment on this story, but they didn't want to get involved. A team executive who asked not to be named on the podcast, we'll call him Jay for his propensity for Canadian trysts, issued us this statement. We made a very competitive offer, Jay said. There was not an agreement to terms because they kept insisting on an opt-out. I don't see, club ownership doesn't see, the value in that type of arrangement to the Orioles. If we're going to guarantee a contract, it should be a contract. So, we've hit on the key snag, the opt-out clause. 
Is it possible that the Fowler camp wanted the opt-out all along and thought that the best way to force it out of the Orioles would be to demand it after the club had already announced the deal was in place? Is it possible that the Orioles knew that the opt-out clause was desired all along and leaked the terms of the contract to build pressure for Fowler simply to sign the deal and give up on the opt-out clause? Who else could have been privy to such considerations? How much did Adam Jones know when he talked to Dexter Fowler about the deal? Were his comments all part of some larger plan? And what did Asia McLean know? More Orioles cereal next week. Some uh, some news came out in terms of the Orioles media sphere, I guess is the best way to describe it. So the Orioles are due for a mixed-up season. And this actually tweet comes from Rich Dubroth at Comcast Sportsnet. And uh, he, he brought this information saying, Longtime Orioles broadcaster Fred Manfred will cut his schedule to 40 to 50 games this season. Jim Hunter will pair with Joe Angel on most. Now, this is not a totally surprising tweet. You know, you go back and look at last year with Fred Manfred. He, you know, parlayed some of his schedule out. Yeah, some health concerns. Yeah, but it wasn't to this degree where he was going to miss 120 games, basically, of the entire season. It certainly seems like Fred Manfred is basically going into retirement. Um, Whether it be this is his last year or next year is his last year, it feels like... Fred is riding into the sunset, basically. And, and it gets me curious to a certain regard. Joe Angel, of course, has been on WB. Well, I can't even call it WBL radio. He has been on Orioles radio for several years now. But again, he's also done a lot of work in terms of Masson. And by pulling Joe Angel into the booth for that amount of time, it got me wondering, you know, there's really not a lot of depth within the Orioles media sphere from both TV and radio as much as we like to give Jim Hunter the business here at Bird's Eye View, and we do, he does serve a purpose of doing pre- and post-game shows for Masson, but also filling in for Gary Thorne when he's too tanked to get to the mic. <laughs> there is that. Can I can I stop for a moment and just ask you, do you think that this is a, a result of uh, Fred Manfred being at home for so much of the season last year and realizing that he kind of enjoyed seeing his family, you know, during the summer, kind of enjoyed taking it easier, and he has decided to go ahead and scale things back? Or do you think that the Orioles are making a change here and they're making a change in a way that's respectful of Fred Manfred and the service that he's given the organization? I would like to think that Fred is like, oh, I want to spend some time with the family, but I think that last year the Orioles went to him and said, yeah, so we really can't have you waiting 15 seconds between plays. Like, people are starting to complain. Um, so we're going to let you take your final bow 
and see yourself out the door. But here's my problem with that. And and I agree. Yeah. I agree that's probably what's going on. But my problem with it is this. I don't have an issue with Fred Manfred in the booth. I have an issue with Fred Manfred doing play-by-play. Yes. And I, I think that if they went to a formula where Joe Angel did the call and Fred Manfred provided the color, it would be a really enjoyable broadcast. Yes, I agree with that. I don't know whether or not Joe Angel could do the play-by-play the entire thing, but... Let's get into trying to figure out who could potentially fill into the depth charts for the Orioles. So, of course, we're jinxing it since we talked about depth charts last year. But anyway, let's talk about it. So Dexter Fowler is clearly going to be the the color guy on the radio. Coming back to the aspect of uh, Joe Angel and doing play-by-play, Ben McDonald, for example, last year, critically acclaimed, I think, by most Orioles fans. He did color commentary for the Orioles and, again, did not do play-by-play. So Joe Angel basically took it on his shoulder and said, I'm going to do play-by-play for the entire game while Ben McDonald chimes in occasionally with some useful nugget and with a little bit of a southern draw. And, and it, he was phenomenal. And it was, and it was a great format because, A, you got to hear Joe Angel throughout the entire game, which is a blessing. And you got Ben McDonald also giving useful nuggets in terms of how pitchers were approaching situations and also calling out pitchers when they weren't doing the right way of saying, oh, he needs to be more aggressive with his batter. He can't let him get off the hook here. If he lets him get off the hook and even saying, I think he's going to throw him a slider and he throw him a change up. And he's like, up, oh, should have thrown him a slider because uh, he was sitting on a change up and just kind of just really like strategy of the game. Really a really good color commentator, in my opinion, similar to Palmer in, in that regard too. Um, he was so much more insightful than I was ready for. Yeah. So really well done. But again, the, the situation that you're getting into is McDonald's not a play-by-play guy. And by bringing um, Hunter into the booth with Joe Angel, Hunter can do play-by-play on the radio. He's done it before. He can do it again. The question is, can Joe Angel do play-by-play for all 162-plus games? And I don't know if he can. I, I just think that's a lot to ask of Joe Angel. All right. I mean, I, I think he can. I, I think that the issue with Ben McDonald is I, I wonder if Ben McDonald isn't the clear uh, guy in the wings you know, the guy being groomed, particularly because we're talking about radio right now, but we have, you brought it up. So I'm going to go there. We have to remember that Jim Palmer is not going to be color broadcaster on mass and forever. You shut your mouth now. (laughs) Yes, I will. I will shut my mouth. What are you talking about? We got Mike Bordick. (laughs) (laughs) I I wonder if, if Ben McDonald is not the heir apparent. He hasn't made the full commitment to either Masson or Orioles radio because, uh, as you know, he's he's very active on ESPN. He's with the SEC network, so he does college baseball, which, again, is a much shorter season than the Major League Baseball season. He's able to, you know, be at home, be with his kids in, in a way that he can't if he's going to play a greater role with the Orioles. But I think that he's really settling in to a role, and I think that over the next couple of years, we're going to see more and more Ben McDonald. Look, if there's one thing this team loves to get onto their depth charts, it's failed former first-round picks. And Ben McDonald is a failed former first-round pick, so of course we're going to try to get him into our depth charts. All right, next person that I want to bring up would be Billy Ripken, who has been doing a lot of work with MLB Network. Again, much more of a color commentator. Don't see him doing play-by-play, but it would be a very good move for him. He has done work with Fox uh, in terms of doing color commentator, but again, it doesn't get you that play-by-play announcer that the organization probably needs to look for. The other thing with Bill Ripken is that his jobs now, and I say jobs because he's got a bunch of them. Yeah. His jobs right now are part-time enough that it allows him to continue to be active with Ripken baseball. Um, and I think that 
that is really the type of, of gig that he's looking for. You know, he can come and go as he pleases on MLB. He's highly respected there. You know, he clearly, he sits in the middle of the, the, t- the desk every time he's there. He's clearly respected on Fox and all the other places that he shows up. He doesn't have to right. do a full gig and he's still then available to to be involved in rookie baseball. I, I would like it because I, I think that he's actually he knows his stuff. He knows his stuff, but I, I just don't think it's a good fit for what he wants to be doing. That and he's an F face. <laughs> yes, they would have to put that on the bottom of his microphone, and really, that's going to take a long time to scratch in. Another person I want to throw out there was also you're a coward because if this was even a year ago, you would have said it and we would have bleeped it out. But you don't want to have to go back and edit that. So funny thing about that total side topic here. I don't even think you know this, as I didn't tell you this. iTunes is now requiring you to either say you're a clean or an explicit uh, expletive podcast. You can't just say you're a neutral party, basically. So I put us under the clean category. Uh, I'm trying to do my best here. Okay, folks. I hope they don't listen to the first year of our podcast. I hope not. Next person I want to bring up is Justin Kutcher. Uh, He's actually been working with MLB with Fox and ESPN doing a plethora of of sporting things. Uh, he's actually been doing a lot of Saturday shows. Um, I guess my question is, with that much national exposure that he's getting and being that young, um, do you really think that he would actually serve in Thorn's shadow for the time being? Because it's a partial gig at best. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's so hard to look at national guys to see where they would land. Because you look at Gary Thorne, right? And I feel like people are pretty divided on Gary Thorne. Some people say, oh, he's a hockey guy. He doesn't do baseball well. Some people think that he's just the bee's knees. Look, I think he's great. I think he's the bee's knees. But I think it's hard to just pick some random national guy and say, yeah, he's a good fit here. Um, I don't know much about Kutcher, so I, I don't want to sound like I'm I'm sure. trying to put myself off as a as a uh, expert. But every time you look at a national guy, I I, I almost feel like the the person that's going to be right for the booth in Baltimore because it's such a kitschy place, it's such a small town yeah. in many ways, has to be somebody with a little bit of connection, especially if you've already got the the hometown feel, you know, Joe Angel's been here forever. Jim Hunter's been here forever. That kind of thing. Gary Thorne's been here forever. Okay, he's I, an exception. Detach, 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 detach. Um, one person that has been here forever, and it probably is the most likely candidate to basically serve in as a role of taking over some of the play-by-play duties, would be Tom Davis, who, again, we know him over the past few years for doing the Mars ads, but in reality, he can take on some of that play-by-play role I'm really glad to hear you say that because he was in the booth with somebody. It was probably Fred Manfred. He was yeah. in the booth with somebody uh, two seasons ago. Yeah, and they turned it over to Tom Davis to do to do play by play. And you have to understand that being of a certain age, I, I remember Tom Davis as, as being the guy who laughed on Rouse and Company yeah. and occasionally provided sports updates. And then the guy in the jacket of, that had HTS on the front. Sure. Oh, and then he had a show on Mass. I was actually really impressed with Tom Davis doing play-by-play. He far Tom, exceeded my expectations. Tom Davis does an excellent job with doing play-by-play. Maybe not so much of, you know, accurately predicting calls and stuff like that, but it's something that he could easily probably get back into. But he does an excellent job of pausing and pointing out things when he needs to and relying on the color commentator. It's very smooth. Yeah, like I said, I think he would be an excellent choice to kind of segue into it. My only concern is if you pick him for the time being— that's fine for this year. But eventually you're going to have to say, who fills in for Tom Davis? Because Tom Davis is no spring chicken as well. 
I mean, Ross and Company was on, what, 20 years ago for us, so... Yeah, I know. Here's the thing. Seventh Inning has to include at least one rendition of Ain't Got No Home. It's good. It's good. No one is going to recognize that except for us and maybe some of the older 30 and 40-year-olds, but... All right. Well, here's my question, and you kind of touched on it. As Orioles fans are completely split, I mean, let's go back to Gary Thorne. People think, you know... He, you know, calls a terrible game. You know, he's very enthusiastic when something happens for the opposing team. But then on the other side, you got Jim Hunter. People give him flack all the time for being a homer for games and not calling it both ways. So the question is, what do you want from an announcer going forward? It's a good question. I I think that Orioles fans want a familiar voice, right? I I think that we would certainly latch on to something familiar before we would give somebody a chance. Because I think you're exactly right with Gary Thorne. Gary Thorne has been here since, get this, has been here since 2007, which seems like a long time ago now. You know, now he he's one of our guys. But I, I think if unless you have somebody that's got some sort of local connection, it's gonna take them a while to to really put that foothold. And and also the thing is is that if the team takes a nosedive after twenty eighteen, you know, if that window yep. shuts, yeah. I, I think the team has a vested interest in making sure that it's a hometown guy that will give the kind of coverage that, let's say, Mr. Angelos may prefer. Yeah, I, I think that you have to go completely off this. I don't think you have to look for a hometown guy because I don't think there is a hometown guy. I know the perfect individual that can fill in remarkably going forward for this absent aspect. So there's a retirement happening within the public sphere, and that public sphere is a prayer home companion. So Garrison Keller is retiring <laughs> in the near future. So my question is, could you think of a better play-by-play announcer than Garrison Keller to come on and do mass and play-by-play? The only thing that I think could outstri- uh, outstrip that would be uh, the Baltimoreans. Yes. Uh, both of them calling a game. Because if you haven't heard uh, an Oriole game on delay – uh, with with WALT announcers Sam Dingman and Alan Smith, you haven't lived, my friend. You haven't lived. And by that, for any Orioles or MLB folks that are listening, that would never happen that someone would do a delay po- no. delay broadcast. No. Only with express written, written consent. consent. Yes. <laughs> Scotty, I think it's time we blow the save for this particular episode. Uh, you may have seen earlier this week uh, as uh, as Soo Kim adjusts to America, adjusts to Major League Baseball. It's going to be a process. And you saw this week that uh, Adam Jones and Buck Showalter were involved in, in making sure that he had a traditional uh, Korean meal. It was nice. It was a nice thing. That was a big plate. Yeah, it was a big plate. But it got me to thinking. The next step for him is to have traditional American food. And nay, in traditional Baltimore Mm. food. I'm going to throw crabs right out the window. That's the obvious answer. Scotty, you and I uh, attended a a Friendsgiving where the theme was traditional Maryland food. It was quite a, a bountiful harvest, if you will. Yeah. So my question this week to Greater Birdland Assembled, imagine that you... Are, are responsible for adjusting Kim to the Baltimore area through his stomach. Outside of crabs, because that's the easy answer, what is the traditional 
Baltimore food, the Baltimore meal. What does that look like? What does Adam Jones need to make sure gets in Kim's stomach? Hashtag Orioles stay hungry. How about hashtag Kim stay hungry? Kim stay hungry? I like that. Kim stay hungry? All right. Hashtag Kim stay hungry. Give us your suggestions. And uh, I guess with that. Well, we're going to leave on an empty stomach? It's a terrible... That's why it's blowing the save. But you get to be filled up with terrible, terrible pseudo baseball games. There's going to be a fake baseball game tomorrow. Yeah, fake baseball. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be terrible. (laughs) We're going to get, like, Chaz Rowe in there pitching, like, two innings, and TJ McFarlane, and Cesar Cabral, and all kinds of people that you're never going to hear from again. As long as Chris Davis doesn't pitch, we'll be fine. Yep. With that, Baltimore and beyond, I bid you all a fond... Adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. Have your alibi ready. And let's go O's. Mail. Kim? Kim?